All right, friends, it is the midweeks, and you're here with Pastor Rob, and we have a great chapter to go through. Now, we are in this valley of the shadow of death time with David. The last chapter, he ran away, and he escaped to uh, the priest who gave him some food while he's on the run. And this chapter, we're going to see David having to do more things to establish himself and protect himself as he's fled from Saul and The overarching point of this is to chronicle David's uh, dark times. He's anointed king. He's going to be king after Saul, but the current king is trying to destroy him. And so this is going to be a story of God's faithfulness. And we're going to see God's providence over the hand of David, but also the kind of kingdom that God is building around David. And we're going to see his kingdom contrasted with Saul's kingdom. Remember, When the people first sought a king, they wanted to have a king like all the other nations. And this is what they got in Saul. Ultimately, they got a king who was selfish and unbelieving and living like a pagan. And God, when he brought about David, said, I found a man after my own heart. And so here is a man who is going through the valley of the shadow of death, but showing faith in God and really being a forerunner of Christ in a few different ways. And at least one way we're going to point out today. All right. Verse one of chapter 22 of first Samuel, David departed from there. Remember that was Achish in Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him and everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him and he became commander over them and there they were there were with him about 400 men so here's david's the birth of david's kingdom david's escaped from gath and he's in this cave of adullam so now he's living in a cave he's gone from the palace he was serving saul he was married to the king's daughter so he was a royal son through marriage and now he's living in a cave where did jesus come from where was he born anyhow david is living in this cave and his brothers in his father's house hear what's happened and they rightly guess that because david is no longer in saul's good books none of the family is safe and so they come to david to be with him but also probably to save their own lives because when there's political conflict like this, family members can become leveraged, they become threatened. Threatened. Um, Saul might capture them to try to cause David to have to reveal himself. So they, probably for personal interest as well as to be with David, go to be with him there. Remember last time he met David's brothers, they were all, at least one of them was all mad that David was there fighting, ready to fight Goliath. And now they're escaping to David for their lives. And now it's interesting that the people who gather to David there are really the outcasts of Israel. They're in distress, so they're not, their lives aren't working as members of Israel. They're in debt, so their financial lives aren't working as members of Israel, and they're bitter in soul, so their emotional, relational lives aren't working as members of Israel. And so these are the people who come to David. They've got not, they don't have a lot to lose, but they're throwing in their hopes with this anointed king. And for me, this is a real picture of the birth of the church. The losers, the outcasts, the neglected, the rejected, they, the people who realize that in, in this world, they don't have much to lose. And so they go to be with the anointed king. But with us, it's Christ. And it's a great reminder to Christians to really stay humble. Jesus 
didn't pick us because we're wonderful. That's what 1 Corinthians said. He actually picks the lowly to shame the wise. And here God is gathering to David the lowly, the lost, and the despised to be the army of the anointed king, which is going to ultimately elude and survive being attacked by the official army of the official king. But this is David. David says, I need an army. God says, here are Israel's outcasts. They can be your army. But David receives them by faith. He became the commander over them. Verse 3, And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab and stayed with him. And they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Okay, so here's a couple verses. Remember where David came from? David's, I think it was his great-grandmother, was Ruth, which means his father... His father's grandmother uh, was a Moabitess. And so there's that famous story of Ruth coming from Moab and marrying Boaz. Boaz was David's great-grandfather. I think it might have been great-great, but I think it was great-grandfather. So his own father would have been even closer to Ruth. But this is their family lineage. And so one of the reasons why it may have worked for them to go to Moab is that they could claim that there was Moabite blood in their family lineage. And so the king of Moab welcomes the family of this king on the run. Verse 5, And the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. And so David, probably what this means is don't stay in Moab, but go back to Judah. So David does this. He's now going to go and try and hide in his other homeland. So David is from the line of Judah, but he's also got family in Moab. So he takes his extended family to Moab to hide out during these tough times. And he at God's command, goes and lives amongst his own people group in Judah. And we leave David for a little bit and now go back to Saul. Now Saul heard that David was discovered and the men who were with him. So Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand and all his servants were standing about him. So we see David or Saul taking counsel um, as the military leader with his people. And now he's going to have a kind of a pagan king pity party. And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Here now, people of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, that all of you have conspired against me? No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. Okay, so here's Saul's speech. He's totally deceived, right? Um, and Ahimelech the priest is going to point this out in a sec but in Saul's head David is a threat to him even though David's never attacked him Saul's attacked David but David's never attacked him and because of this he's now upset with Jonathan because they've made a covenant together and because of this he's upset with everyone because he feels like everyone's betrayed him because nobody is standing up for him and telling him all this stuff. Essentially, he, he wishes David were dead and maybe Jonathan too. And because they haven't already killed these guys, he feels threatened and he feels abandoned. He feels rejected as king. And he's, he's threatening them by saying, hey, all this stuff you have, you've got wealth, you've got honor, you've got positions of power. Um, you're going to lose all this stuff if you don't start following me better. 
David's if if David wins, you're toast. He's threatening them, even though David isn't like that. Saul is like that, but David's not like that. But in Saul's head, Saul's the victim, and so David has to be the bad guy. And it's a great reminder of the dangers of a victim mentality. We need to keep having faith in God because when we get stuck in a victim mentality, we feel in our hearts we have the right to sin against other people because we're defending ourselves. Um, but very rarely are we true victims that need to actually defend ourselves like we end up doing. And Saul is a great example of what happens when a victim mentality goes out of control. Verse 9, Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitab. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Okay, so now... Doeg probably sees an opportunity for self-advancement here, and you kind of wonder why he didn't say anything before. But now that Saul is kind of putting the pressure and the gears on these guys, Doeg pipes up and says, hey, I actually saw this stuff happening before. Then the king sent to summon Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitab, and all his father's house, the priests who were at Nob, and all of them came to the king. So this is weird that Saul would bring the entire family and lineage together. And Saul said, Here now, son of Ahitab. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. And Jesse, sorry, and Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him, so that he has risen against me to lie in wait, as at this day? So again, this is a totally perverted uh, situation. David isn't lying in wait against Saul. He's actually trying to hide from him. And Ahimelech sets him straight. Then Ahimelech answered the king's, and who among all your servants is so faithful as David? True. Who is this king's son-in-law? True. And captain over your bodyguard? True. And honored in your house? True. These are all true statements. Saul can't see it anymore. Is today the first time that I've inquired of God for him? No, it's not. That's a rhetorical question. No, let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father, for your servant has known nothing of all this, much or little. End of statement. And see, that's exactly what David was trying to accomplish by deceiving Ahimelech. He's hoping that by keeping him in the dark, he would have rescued him from any trouble that would have come if the news got out that David had visited him. Verse 16. And the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. So he doesn't care about truth and justice, which is a big part of the king's role. The king wasn't meant to just be some guy who sat on thrones, and he wasn't meant to just be a warrior. He was meant to be the head of the judicial system, the top judge in the land. And so the fact that he's not willing to listen to truth or counsel, but execute people according to his own personal advantage means that he's, again, forsaken the kingship in his heart. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand is also with David. And they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me, which is not true. But the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. This is good. This is the right time. They don't want to be... Um, a part of this kind of uh, bloodshed, and they also don't want to sin against God by touching his anointed. You know, in later chapters, David is going to choose to not kill Saul for the sake of the fact that Saul is the Lord's anointed. And Saul is already going to do the opposite. He has the opposite heart. He is willing to destroy the Lord's anointed um, without respecting God through this. Then the king said to Doeg, who's an Edomite, so he's not an Israelite, so he has less... Um, blood reason to respect the priesthood. 
you turn and strike the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned and struck down the priests, and he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword, both man and woman, child and infant, ox and donkey and sheep, he put to the sword. Okay, so this is a gruesome event. Doeg the Edomite, who's a foreigner, has been commanded by the king to execute Cherem against Israel. Do you remember some chapters ago, God was upset with Saul because Saul did not completely wipe out the Ammonites, I think it was. So God had a, a, a justice event against the Ammonites because they attacked Israel instead of providing um, hospitality for them when they were on the road. Coming to the promised land, God commanded um, Saul to wipe them out. And now what we have, Saul refused to do it and God rejected him because of his unbelief. But now what we have is, is Saul doing that act against the priests of Israel. So the priesthood of Israel is being treated like um, a divine enemy and being executed at the king's command by the hand of a foreigner. So we have this complete inversion of the way things ought to have been in Saul's life, where because of his unbelief, because of his pagan heart, he's actually committing holy war against the holy priests of Israel. And it's a massacre, and it's a war crime, and it's terrible. And you kind of wonder how it went. Like, probably once the blood started spilling with the priests, they realized, oh, no, now we need to, like, remove all witnesses, and there can't be any survivors, or else we're just going to be in trouble later in life. And they try to just erase the memory of this family line um, so that there aren't revenge re killings later on. But, verse 20, But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled to David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks yours. With me you shall be in safekeeping. So God allows a witness to actually come out. Um, as he often does in history, and Abiathar gives a report. And note how David takes responsibility for this. He doesn't say, Saul's a bad guy. He actually says, oh, I could have done something. Like maybe he thought to himself for a sec, I should take out Doeg or I should capture him. But he didn't do it. And because of that, he feels some responsibility for Abiathar. And so he takes him under his responsibility. So we have a great picture here of David choosing to take responsibility for people's well-being. Even though he didn't cause the situation, he wanted to take responsibility for it, which is a great sign of godliness. And it's even a picture of Christ who takes responsibility for the lives of sinners. Even though he never sinned, he takes responsibility for our lives. And so we come to Jesus as the man who wants to take responsibility for us in our trouble, in our sins, in our threat, in our danger. He wants to provide the covering for us, which he does as his father foreshadowed through David. And amen.